We'd like to welcome you back to our current event in weekly Bible study for July 17, 2011. This is part three of our teaching on the um, amping up of things leading into the UFO alien disclosure. Most likely what I'm going to do this week is record as much as I can record on my recorder, which is about four hours and 17 minutes. And whatever I don't finish, I'll probably end up putting up four parts this week. Uh, I'm going to be out of town next week, and then we'll continue this the week after that, Lord willing. And then I'll probably, at that point, well, we'll see where we're at. It, it depends if we have a lot of breaking current events, or I'll, I'll continue the Hidden Luciferian um, teachings after that. But I don't think I'm going to get through all 30 pages of this today, because I'm only on page 12, and uh, more than halfway through the teaching. Just sometimes it, it depends on the teachings that it requires more time to cover things. Next article is Scientists Urge UN to Prepare for Alien Invasion. Uh, let's see here. Scientists are saying that the aliens may not be friendly and we need to prepare. The scientists' comments are from the Physiological Transactions of the Royal Society. Now again, I'm giving you a lot of different various high-level organizations that are all also, putting their stamp of approval and, and, and endorsing and throwing their hat in the ring regarding this whole alien UFO subject here. So in this particular um, aspect, it's the scientist comments are from the philosophical transactions of the Royal Society. They discuss the biology and anatomy aspects as well as how religion would be affected worldwide. Professor John Zarnecki of the Open University and Dr. Mar- Martin Dominic of the University of St. Andrews agree that chaos can be avoided if there is a global cooperation in forming an international political body to head up the job. They agree that a body already exists within the UN. The committee It's called the Committee of Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. Last year, there was talk in the news about an ambassador being appointed for alien contact within the United Nations, and I I reported on that. So the United Nations at this point, I I do believe, has an ambassador, you know, supposedly is when, whether it's motherships appearing or whatever over large cities, they have their own ambassador that will be the one that will actually go and, and be the delegate for the world regarding, uh, our interaction with these devils. Uh, Simon Conway Morris of Cambridge University asserts that alien worlds could have violent tendencies. Ted Peters, professor of systematic theology, thinks major world religions would collapse if the world came in contact with aliens. And again, this is why I've done so many teachings on this subject. Because I don't want your faith to waver or collapse as a result of this demonic deception. And God doesn't want it to either. So he wrote, this guy that said the world world religions would collapse if the world came in contact with aliens, he wrote, quote, because our religious traditions formulated their key beliefs within an ancient world dogmas, um, he believes that religion would have to expand and include aliens as part of God's creation. Well, that's that's exactly what the Catholic Church is openly saying. And they're saying we would embrace it. In fact, we'll even baptize you. 
maybe you could have some of those gray aliens wearing like the Pope's miter. You know, that Dagon hat he wears. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, dress them up in some robes and stuff like that, vestments. Maybe they could burn some incense. I don't know. Anyway, Matthew 24, 7. I'm sorry, Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, and again, I, I said this, but let me say this whole verse in totality, these whole set of verses in totality, because this guy's saying that um, this Ted Peters, professor of systematic theology, thinks major world religions would collapse if the world came in contact with aliens. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 says, Therefore, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man, which hath built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Well, let me tell you something. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about, and a lot of these teachings, like today, and many other various things that we talk about, is in essence, the rain that's descending, the floods that are coming, the winds that are starting to blow, that are beating upon your house. Okay? And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So let's go further. Back to this article, it says, I believe the government's are preparing to tell the masses that they are to be invaded by aliens and that the world must come together as one as we learn how to adjust to this new reality. <clears throat> Remember, just recently, NASA said they could prove alien life forms exist on Earth. They could prove it. Uh, and there's even a little link here to that, where they said that. The Vatican, and again, there's a lot of different links that are in the PDF that you can click on if you want to explore further as far as the source of what we're talking about here. The Vatican has told its members that aliens most likely exist and that Catholics can believe in them. Their chief astronomer has stated that aliens may not need redemption and they, as they may not have original sin. Oh no, they're, they're, they're sinless. That's why when these people get abducted, they perform the most wicked, sadistic experiments on people without anesthesia. It's because they have no sin. They're so puritanical, you know. Um, then he goes on to say, he said we should consider aliens our brothers and sisters. And the guy goes on to say, what? Please stop the train and let me off. The chief astronomer also said that we should baptize aliens and that no matter how many tentacles they have, they may have souls. He used that exact phrase, how many tentacles they have. They may have souls. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth and die pay the sin debt of all mankind and also pay the sin debt for fallen angels and demons and devils. Okay, He did that for mankind. He didn't do it for the alien, these supposed aliens or devils or demons. They've had their chance. You know, they've had their chance. Of course, you get into demons and that's a whole other can of worms. Okay? with that particular thing, because um, I've taught, and many others have taught, that they were actually the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, okay, that were in Genesis 6, and also 
guess you could say the promised land when they came in and they battled giants and these types of things. Anyway, that's a whole other subject I've done many teachings on. But, uh, this is what the Vatican is saying, that these aliens may not need redemption, they may not have original sin, and we should consider them our brothers and sisters, and that they would baptize them, no matter how many tentacles they may have. I mean, how sickening. How totally sickening. This goes on to say, I believe the Vatican is ahead of the curve on everything alien. They know there will be disclosure, and is, and is slowly acclimating the public by coming out making these statements over the past few years. I believe the whole alien agenda will somehow be used to try to collapse Christianity and reduce Christ to an invention of the aliens. Aliens contacting Earth will bring new technology to save the environment, and Bible-believing Christians will interfere with, quote, the evolution of man and Earth and us going into, most likely, the New World Order. This, of course, is only my opinion on where all this could go. This is the man writing the article. I know one thing. Aliens are demonic. They are not some outer space phenomenon, but they're rather they're the demonic entities on assignment from Satan. Some say they are the Nephilim discussed in Genesis 6. And let's just read some of that. And I know this is redundant from some of the things I've done before. Uh, but Genesis 6, 1 says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, meaning they had sex with the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, who? The the, the women that they had had uh, procreated with. And they bare children unto them. The same became the men, the mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Which were the giants, which were the earth in those days. And that word giants is translated Nephilim, or meaning the fallen ones. They were hybrids. Okay? And God saw the wickedness of man. I mean, this is the fruit of this hybrid experiment. Okay? What was the fruit? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. In other words, it corrupted the whole earth. This little fallen angelic science project that, that these fallen angels embarked on. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not a really a good endorsement for um, fallen angels procreating with women. So, the devil wants to control the earth and wants to be worshipped, and he is in the process of setting up his copycat kingdom. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye you, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. That's the solution. If there is breaking news that aliens are invading the earth, know that they are not our brothers and sisters and, and that come to deceive and, and, and that they come to uh, deceive and confuse the, the minds of men. They come to deny the one true God and his word and want nothing more than to drag as many people as they can to hell with them. Okay, so that's the end of that particular article. This is a letter Steve Quayle got that I saw recently. 
and um, from July 5th, 2011. You know, you can take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but I'm going to broach some subjects today I haven't really broached before. And uh, I'll, obviously I get into probably some of the most radical content I think of anybody, any, I guess, person that would be call themselves a born-again Bible-believing Christian. I just haven't seen any of this... I really haven't seen anything but confirmation regarding the information we tend to get into on a week-by-week basis. What I'm trying to do is equip people for potential case scenarios, not saying and being dogmatic that it absolutely has to go down in this exact way. The Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne, ever seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He ever maketh intercession for the saints... And he is in control. So Satan might have an agenda and might have a plan. It might have been something that we covered that never actually comes to fruition. Well, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of times I get into these subjects so that people, and and this is always a motivator, so that people that are not aware of these things can pray about a certain thing that they might not have known to ever prayed about. And Satan loves that because if he can keep us in the dark about things and there's no prayer going up regarding specific issues then typically he's going to be able to carry out whatever he wants to carry out without any opposition from the remnant or the saints of God. So, saying that, this is a letter Steve Quayle got, is entitled For Your Discernment. Uh, He says, My daughter, almost seven years old, named Victoria, had a dream. She was with the Lord this Sunday, June 26th. And this was this last June. She saw millions of alien ships around the earth. Now again, you could say, oh come on. Whoa, this is exactly what Hollywood is portraying. Over and over and over and over again. They've got billions invested in this exact propaganda. Who controls Hollywood? Who's at the top of the food chain? Satan. I mean, you could say, okay, Satan and his fallen angels rule over the Illuminati, the 13 families that essentially control the earth. Who do you think has the money that controls Hollywood? Is it born-again, Bible-believing Christians? No. They've got billions invested in this exact same scenario. So, it's a possibility. Okay, She saw millions of alien ships around the earth, circular shaped. Victoria was told in the dream these aliens will lie to get people in their ships. She was made to understand by the Lord that in no way should these ships be entered. What is the whole thing with the V-series? They're trying to get people up into the ships. Oh, come take a ship. We're we're, going to give you a little tour of the ship. Now, I'm sure that's a, safe, a very common scenario in a lot of these things. Most of them I don't have a, ever have a chance to watch or view or anything else. I like will go up on YouTube and watch trailers and things like that and get a kind of an idea of what's going on. But I know that's also a common scenario. So she was made to understand by the Lord that in no way should these ships ever, ever, ever be entered. Okay, I think that kind of goes without saying. I mean, based on this study. The aliens are liars. She was shown the weapons inside the ships, and after humans enter the alien ships, these weapons will then be used to kill the humans. 
She was shown that many people around the world entering the alien ships, and once inside the alien, once inside the aliens ate the humans' flesh raw, and even drank their blood. Well, you could say, "Oh, now you're really going off the deep end." Do you think that that's not what Satan's ultimate agenda would be if he could do that? What do they do in the highest levels of Satanism and in pedophilia and in Luciferianism? Human sacrifice is the way they practice their religion. That's what they do. And the younger, the better, typically. And they will try to maximally traumatize little children and humans to, because these devils feed off your fear. Literally, it's like a vampiristic feeding of energy of your fear. I've read enough occult accounts to know that that's the case. So why would this be a stretch to believe if this happens? We're already doing it. They're already doing it in the highest levels of Satanism and Luciferianism and in other different religions. Most of these other cults, just so you know, like Hinduism, Buddhism, and whatever, whatever flavor of religion you're into, most of them at the top, the leaders of these religions, have all been prepositioned there through the Illuminati. And most of them at the very, very top are all doing human sacrifice as well. That way they can have people who are the most depraved people at the very tops of the religion, and if the head is sick, the whole body will be sick. So even if there's well-meaning, but highly deluded and misguided people underneath them, the hierarchy of these different and various religions are totally corrupted and most likely closet Satanists or Luciferians. I believe Fritz Springmeier wrote a whole book on that. Wise as Serpents, I think. You can find the link up on the internet. So, once people enter the ships, they will find out too late that they just entered the butcher shop and will be on the menu. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say, okay, yeah, this is absolutely, definitely... But, I'm going to at least put out the scenario. It lines up with what they already do in the Illuminati. It lines up with what you can look in the Bible and see regarding um, people that were sacrificing their children to Moloch and Chemosh. Child sacrifice. How's that, any di- how's that any better than what we're talking about here? What do Satanists do? and What do Luciferians do at those high levels? I mean, I- I've seen enough interviews to know they traumatize these people to the maximum extent, and then and then at the point of climax of, of the ceremony, they kill them, and there's so much adrenaline in their blood, they can actually actually get this high that that not, I'm not saying the person was feeling, but they actually uh, get from the adrenaline in the blood that they're drinking, they actually get a, a rush off that. I've heard some say that, that at the point of, of trauma, some of them will have needles that they'll put in the back of, there's a certain point they can go into and extract a hormone called adrenochrome. And it's like the ultimate drug or whatever. 
but it can only be induced through maximum terror and trauma. This is how sick many people are. And if you don't believe that, just listen to my teaching on pedophilia, where I talk a lot about Walt Disney and and, and the, the, the worldwide pedophilia, child pornography stuff that's going on worldwide. I really didn't like doing that teaching. But it was truth. And it was long. And it was drawn out. And, and it was not fun. But if you don't know about it, how would you ever know to pray about it? I mean, there is some things going on in this world that you can't even comprehend the sickness of it. And this whole alien thing is just one more step toward that. They're already doing it. They're defiling humanity. And we're going to talk about that more. Now, this little scenario that we just read from the account of this little girl, what else does this kind of line up with? Well, let's look at the book of Enoch, chapter 7. Now, I'm not saying this is scripture. I'm, I'm using it as a commentary. It's all I'm using this for. Okay? And so, the book of Enoch, chapter 7, and all the others, meaning the fallen angels, together with them, took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in and unto them, and to defile themselves with them, and they taught them charms. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like Genesis 6? I mean, a lot of that? And enchantments and cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. Now this, a lot of what they're talking about here is that these fallen angels taught their wives witchcraft. You know how like you see a witch around a cauldron, eye of Newton, whatever they put in the pot. Well, this is what we're talking about here. These enchantments, the cutting of roots, made them acquainted with plants. And then it goes on to say, and they became pregnant, the women that the fallen angels had procreating with, and they bare them great giants whose height was 3,000 L's, which we really don't know what unit of measurement that is. And then let's listen to this. Who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, meaning these giants were gigantic. That's why they called them giants. Well, these, these guys could put away the food. Okay? I mean, you're not going to feed them a Hungry Man TV dinner and expect them to be satisfied. You know what I mean? When men could no longer sustain them with the crops and and, and the cattle and whatever else we were trying to raise, because we were subject to them, man put himself in subjection to these giants because they were uh, obviously intimidated by them, I I would imagine. When men could no longer sustain them, meaning the giants, the giants turned against them meaning mankind, and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against the birds and the beasts and the reptiles and the fish, and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. So that's how Enoch describes this. Now, I'm sorry, but all that does is confirm the Bible to me. I understand there's some questionable things in Enoch. I'm not calling it canon of scripture. I'm calling it a commentary. And there's only one book of Enoch because there's many flavors of that out there. And it's the one that um, a Baptist publishing company put out. And it has all of the places where it parallels the King James Bible. It has cross-references there. It's like a... It, it, particularly the, 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 the starting chapters are an expansion of Genesis 6. 
Isn't that kind of funny? It says that when man could no longer sustain them, and they began to sin against the birds and the beasts and the reptiles and the fish, too. But we haven't mentioned that. Well, what what are they doing? What are, the, what are our scientists doing? And who knows who else to the animals, the fish, the birds, all this GMO crops. They're, 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 they're sinning against nature. They're creating these hybrid chimeras where you're, you're combining DNA of one animal with DNA of another and you're, 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 you're making all of these sickening hybrid creatures out there, all for the sake of science. You're, you're, you're combining humans with animal, I mean, that whole show that came out recently, Splice, was like this, I don't know what it was, a combination of a human something. All this transhumanism stuff, this is another area where Hollywood is deeply invested in brainwashing us. And not only that, but this is happening in laboratories all over the world and, guaranteed, in dark projects underneath the ground that we don't even know about, that different governments are running. We have no clue what type of things are going on regarding experimentation on humans and then other species. Not to mention the whole alien abduction scenario, which is totally obsessed with the reproductive system of humans. Well, that's what they did in the days, the days of Noah. They defiled the seed of mankind to try to prevent the Redeemer of mankind, Jesus Christ, from ever coming through that seed line. We'll talk about that in a little bit, that particular verse in Genesis 3.15. So isn't it funny here, and then it says, and then when they consumed the acquisitions of men, they sinned against the birds, the beasts, the reptiles, and the fish, and then to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Blood drinking is always involved in high-level Luciferian satanic stuff. And it's forbidden in the Bible. Both Old and New Testament. It is a perpetual covenant. You're not supposed to drink the blood of any creature. Now, I talked about a little bit about the book of Enoch in two different teachings, listener question and answers, and also this subject of cloning, DNA manipulation, and corrupting the seed, which was the title of the study. I give you the link here, be on probably about page 14 or 15. Talk a little bit about Enoch, and I also talk about that subject, cloning, DNA manipulation, and corrupting the seed, which heavily relates to this subject that we're talking about right now. <clears throat> Jude 1.6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. This is another verse that's talked about, about how these angels that kept not their first estate. What was their first estate? Heaven. That was their home. They left their habitation, though. He hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Now, where is that? That's Tartarus. That was the verse that we had talked about earlier. It's a special compartment of hell. It's only referred to one time, and it's in that other verse where it talks about these angels. And then the next verse, Jude 1.7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication, 
See, the Bible here is comparing the fallen angels who came down in Genesis 6 and procreated with women to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. It's the same thing in God's eyes. Well, I mean, they're both total abominations, but it's the same thing. When a man burns after a man, he's going after strange flesh. When a woman burns after a woman, she's going after strange flesh. They're leaving the natural use of their body. Angels going after human women is the same thing. They're going after strange flesh. And going after strange flesh are set forth, for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So that's more confirmation that these angels in Genesis 6 went after strange flesh. Because a lot of people say, oh no, it was, the, it was the godly sons of Seth that came and procreated with women. That's what the, that's what the cemeteries are teaching people. Because this, this subject scares them too much, I think. Oh, and people couldn't, couldn't handle that. We, we want to keep our, our sheep nice and in the dark and diluted and dumbed down. That's, honestly, that's what I think. People aren't getting the truth. Not about this. The sons of Seth. If they were the godly sons of Seth, why did it reap such a wicked consequence? Why did it reap such a wicked consequence that God had to wipe the whole world out, save eight people in the flood, if they were the godly sons of Seth, of Genesis 6? Give me a break. Here we have two confirmations. The, the verse I gave earlier here, where God hath reserved these angels in everlasting chains of darkness, in Tartarus, under the day of judgment. Why? Because they went after strange flesh. Just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah did. Could the alien lies... Okay, then this goes back to this letter this man wrote in about his daughter's vision. Could the alien lies be spread worldwide by the United Nations astrophysicist, Dr. Moslin Offman, who will act as our ambassador when humans make first contact with alien species? Whatever lie is told by these aliens should be ignored. People should seek the Holy Bible and Jesus while there's still time. Some theories about their lies are, humans are a DNA test experiment, and they are our creators. Well, that's the ancient astronaut theory, I already covered that. Number two, Overpopulate the overpopulation excuse will be used to transport many humans to another world. That's another thing I haven't really mentioned, but that could be an excuse they use. Um, and then three, disasters are coming to Earth so that the aliens will help humans. Avoid these coming disasters by taking these humans to another place of safety. This would be a way that could get you aboard the mothership. In other words, uh, uh, an excuse per se. Whatever the lie is, these alien ships should never be entered if offered a look inside or just a joyride. It's like the old saying goes, curiosity killed the cat. So, that was that. Now, just to kind of reiterate that, and to kind of see, well, have we seen any? Now, listen, I'm sure there's been many a movie, and many a miniseries, and many a book put out, from the media or from New Age proponents or whatever, confirming the scenario I just said. But the original V miniseries that was like back in the 80s, I found this clip from them. And I'm going to go ahead and play this so you can kind of get a little confirmation about what we just said. 
I kind of fast fast forwarded through some of the intro because it's this long drawn out musical intro. But they start out by saying, and now prepare yourself for the final scene of V, the final battle. This is from the miniseries from NBC back in 1984, okay? But they're going to give you a little recap at the very beginning of it, and that's what I want you to kind of pay attention to. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this now. A year ago, the visitors arrived. Now, their futile mission has been discovered. They are not here to promote interplanetary peace. The aliens are here to rob our planet of water at the rate of one million gallons per second. And they're here to export another commodity to their planet. Processing plant. Shipping food. Okay, what we're seeing here is a processing plant of these... um, V visitor aliens and they've got humans on a conveyor belt in these chambers and their food. That's what they're now this is what Hollywood has been telegraphing for a long, long time. Juliet Parrish and Mike Donovan lead a ragged troop of resistors who have tried to put an end to the visitors' mission. Most attempts have failed, but Donovan has found some aliens to be different. I want to help you. Look at Martin. One of many alien turncoat rebels schemed with the resistors to expose John. So, in other words, then they tell the the big lie about, you know, the alien turncoat rebels who are good and they're on our side, which is a total lie from the pit of hell. So, anyway, um, again, I'm not saying dogmatic, you know, I'm saying there's parallels here. There are some things that we can look at from the past. And, uh you know, to kind of confirm about what we're looking at here. Now, next article is entitled The Ghastly Truth About the Days of Noah. Uh, in this generation, there is a phenomenon that has been chronicled by academics and dramatists alike. It is well known throughout the, all levels of society. At first, it was viewed as a myth. Now it carries the veracity and weight of any other commonly reported social phenomenon. In the documentary fashion, motion picture theaters and television Productions have presented it many times, but of surpassing interest uh, is its spiritual dimension. It spans the fullness of all questions surrounding God's creation, his sovereignty, and the mysteries inherent in the dark forces who oppose him. It brings Paul's statement about regarding principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness and high places into stark, glaring focus. In a polite society, this phenomenon is virtually taboo to talk about, merely to bring it up in places bring it up, places one in the category of a kook or a crazy person. Uh, A courteous silence surrounds reports of the wondrous event like that accorded ghost stories, tales about Bigfoot and dinosaurs in remote swamps in Africa. The macabre and puzzling phenomena to which we refer to is that of the UFO abduction. As we approach the new millennium, we finally have enough information about this subject to draw certain conclusions, all of which are dark, forbidding, and frightening. More than that, they carry elements of an unclean, putrescent evil that draws us ever deeper into the arena of the spiritually impure. Here one realizes spiritual combat is a sobering reality. There is a real sense that by probing into the dark recesses of this pit without the help of God and the presence of Jesus Christ, one could suffer very real spiritual injury. But for the Christian, there is hope. Not surprisingly, the Bible provides the precise information that makes this unexplainable circumstance quite explainable. 
Biblically, the contemporary UFO abduction story becomes a mystery solved. This having been stated, let us return to an event that has subtly changed the path of modern history. In the early 60s, it became the subject of countless articles in the top magazines. It was documented on primetime television, and it launched a best-selling book, uh, which is called The Interrupted Journey by John Fuller. Uh, it was the mid-September night in 1961. Barney and Betty Hill were returning from a vacation trip to Quebec, driving south between Lancaster and Portsmouth. New Hampshire, they found themselves being pursued by a mystery ship that at first looked like a star or satellite. Then its movements became more erratic. It appeared to be coming lower. At last, they could see that it was a bright, round, glowing object. After a time, they saw it at a treetop height. It appeared to them as a flying disc larger than an airliner, stopping the car. Barney found that he could look into the large windows with his binoculars. There he was horrified to see humanoid creatures with eyes staring uh, back uh, that sent profound hysteria coursing through his entire being. He ran back to the car, attempted to escape. At that point, everything lapsed into blackness for a period that they would later determine was about two hours of missing time. The next thing they knew, they were consciously aware of driving the last few miles into Portsmouth. Arriving home in a curious state of distress, they were totally unaware they had been, had been, they, they had been the object of what is now become the archetypal UFO abduction case. In the period that followed, it took them literally years to unravel the mystery of what had happened during these two hours, and when they finally succeeded, their horrific memories became the subject of a best-selling book mentioned above, and a full-length motion picture. What had befallen them became a classic case containing the now all-familiar elements of abduction. First, there was the complete blanking of their memories. Then Barney found himself subject to extreme anxiety, accompanied by nightmares in an and an inability to sleep. Both were highly disturbed, but they didn't know why. Finally, however, the details came out. These details included descriptions of a huge spaceship, its crew, an interior arrangement, along with a remembered star map that had hung on the wall with the help of astrologers. Betty later recalled it as depicting an area of space in the constellation we call Pegasus, the star Alpha Pegasi. Labeled she labeled other stars on her map with well-known star names. At the time, radio astronomers even noted that a mysterious radio source seemed to originate from this exact spot in space. Some speculated that the signal might have an intelligent source. The abduction also included a series of medical exams. Both Barney and Betty were subjected to both of these. As well as other known cases, the examinations seemed to focus on their reproductive systems. Both were sure that the beings came from another planet and were simply bent upon doing some sort of local reconnaissance in our solar system. There was much speculation about their methods and motives. It was the 60s when the old ways were being dropped and a new world of socialized idealism was on the horizon. Space travelers, interspecies, medical exams, and the hint that we were about to embark upon an intergalactic di diplomacy caught the public imagination. Their story fit the times as sure as Star Trek... Um, the Hills were, for a time, launched into this unwilling celebrity. Then, interest in their encounter faded into what, for them, was a blessed obscurity. A few year years later, Barney passed away. After that, Betty occasionally spoke on the event, expressing the certainty that her abductors had meant no harm, but were simply an advanced scouting party. <laughs> this is how deluded this lady was, unfortunately. Still... When their experience exploded into the public consciousness in 1966, they were greeted by ridicule and often skepticism. 
in the years since, the watershed event that bought the hills to fame has not faded away. Rather, it has become a booming enterprise. As we shall see, these strange abductions are a growing presence. At present, hundreds hundreds of thousands and most likely even hundreds of thousands have encountered a similar fate. The hills and many of those like them became convinced that the planet Earth is being visited by explorers, representing many planets and races. Abductees believe that they are only a short time away from being told the quote, whole truth in the global disclosure that will reveal many bizarre secrets, now known only by certain high-level government officials. During their abductions, they were told by the aliens that humanity has nothing to fear, that they will be here on a mission of peace. In fact, these space travelers often hint that they are humanity's creators. And, they come, and they're going to come back in the last days to check up on their work. Again, we've already discussed that in depth. But as one tries to make sense of the aliens' collective utterances, gaping inconsistencies appear. Serious research yields great doubt about their benevolent intent. And after a little more study, even their identity comes into question. Rather than being benevolent emissaries, they seem to have darker motives. And rather than being space travelers, they seem to be much more like the fallen ones described in the Bible. In fact, they seem exactly like the angels and demons who followed Satan, and who are engaged in an ongoing warfare against the elect of God. Christians need to be aware of these events and the dark forces behind them. What are they doing, and why are they doing it, are questions that must be dealt with by the faithful. And why are they doing it just now, as the events of Bible prophecy seem so close to fulfillment? Historically, there is a quality of inscrutability surrounding the UFO phenomenon. Citizens the world over have reported sightings for years as government, as the governments of the world explain them away with clearly absurd rationalizations like swamp gas, or the planet Venus, or the spent Russian rocket boosters, have all been used this way to literally thousands of times to try to debunk these claims. Now, however, there is a growing evidence that our government leaders have all known along that something was afoot. And we're going to look at what's called Operation Majestic 12, and there's actual cover to this. I also, at this point, give you uh, my series I did on exposing the strong delusion. Uh, The series I did that you can click on it here. It's going to be on about page 18 of the PDF for 7-17-2011. And we're looking at the cover of this Majestic 12 from April of 1954. It says, copy of Top Secret Majestic 12 Eyes Only, uh, Extraterrestrial Entities, Technology, Recovery, and Disposal. Of late, several writers claim to have unearthed above top secret government documents that directly pertain to modern UFO history. Perhaps the most famous of these is a manually typed on paper that has apparently met the tests of historical experts, that is, it passes examination for age, chemical composition, and watermarking. Recently, its authenticity has come into question, but it is so representative of an entire class of similar documents that we will include it here in this report. It provides the information needed to explain the biblical link between the dark heavenly forces and the one world government so clearly presented in the prophecies of the Bible. Each page in this document is stamped Top Secret, Majestic, Eyes Only. Uh, It is headed, Briefing Document, Operation Majestic 12, prepared for President-elect Dwight D. Eisenhower. Eyes Only. Meaning, this isn't something that you can, like, take with you home. It's something you need to just, like, look at there with your eyes, and it's going to stay wherever it is. 
and it's from November 18, 1952. Apparently, Majestic 12 was the title given to a group of 12 high-ranking insiders. All of them were admirals, generals, or government scientists. According to the document itself, the group was established by Special Classified Executive Order of President Truman on September 24, 1947. This white paper deals with the subject of a disc-shaped aerial objects. They soon came to be called Flying Saucer, which was the term coined after pilot Kenneth Arnold sighted flying discs over the Cascade Mountains in Washington. That happened on June 24, 1947, the year that flying saucers came of age. These are mentioned in the Majestic Report, along with the famous Roswell event. In part, it says, quote, Little of substance was learned about the objects until a local rancher reported that one had crashed in a remote region of New Mexico, located approximately 75 miles northwest of the Roswell Army Base, now called Walker Field. On, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself there. On June 7, 1947, a secret operation was begun to assure recovery of the wreckage of this object for scientific study. During the course of this operation, aerial reconnaissance discovered that four small human-like beings had apparently been ejected from the craft at some point before it exploded. The eighth page of this document is a short memo to the Secretary of Defense, purportedly from President Harry Truman, dated September 24, 1947. And it says, quote, Dear Secretary Forstall, As per our recent conversation on this matter, you are hereby authorized to proceed with all due speed and caution upon your undertaking. Hereafter, this matter shall be referred to only as Operation Majestic 12. It continues to be my feeling that any future considerations relative to the ultimate disposition of this matter should rest solely with the office of the President following appropriate discussions with yourself, Dr. Bush, and the Director of Central Intelligence. End of quote. It now seems that this and other similar documents are authentic. This being the case, we must assume that top-level government agencies have been pursuing their interaction interactions with UFOs ever since. Now, I've done a whole teaching on this, the Grenada Tr- Treaty, um, I think it might be the the um, links I just gave you in the PDF regarding the strong delusion as well. So I go much further in depth with our government's collaboration uh, with these entities in that particular document or in that particular teaching. So who were the small, uh, the four small human-like beings mentioned in this mysterious document? Were they really from outer space? Until recently, it might have seemed that this was indeed the case. But evidence now available through the study of UFO abduction phenomenon offers an alternative suggestion, one that is in perfect agreement with the biblical worldview, which is really super important. Okay? They may, in an unexpected way, be, right, be from right here on planet Earth. In the 1950s, Various flying lights in the sky were sighted around the world. The year was 1956. is considered a flap year by USO, UFO historians. That is, it witnessed numerous blatant sightings that popped up on numerous fronts. During this decade, even Washington, D.C. was the site of a huge display of the mysterious lights. The 60s brought continuing waves of these sightings. Famed astronomer and UFO researcher J. Allen Hynek called these events, quote, close encounters of the first kind. Lights, spears, discs, and similar phenomena came to be considered so normal that belief in them was a given. Of course, everyone pretended to be a scoffer, but general acceptance of the flying saucers was, was almost universal. Hynek labeled sightings that left ground traces as, quote, close encounters of the second kind. 
If beans were sighted leaving the craft, the event was logged as close encounters of the third kind. Beginning in the 1950s and continuing into the 1980s, the Air Force's Project Blue Book supposedly recorded and analyzed UFO sightings. Dr. Hynek exposed its real purpose. It was actually used as a front for UFO secrecy, while the real mission of the research and the enhanced contact continued behind the scenes. Something was going on, but it was being kept top secret. Dr. Hynek's UFO report was published in 1977, but its statistical approach only documented what everyone had already accepted. It failed to throw any light on the real intentions of those behind the phenomenon. In spite of the Betty Barney and Betty Hill case, it was not until the late 70s and early 80s that there was a real attempt to understand the motives behind the preceding 30 years of peculiar aerial displays. In 1981, Bud Hopkins published Missing Time. In this book, he investigated seven cases of UFO abduction, each distinguished, as the title suggests, by an unaccountable period of time when nothing could be recalled by the central participants. He was the first to suspect that literally thousands of such abductions were being carried out on a systematic basis. For the first time, he noted that many cases previously thought to be merely visual sighting cases, which were close encounters uh, close encounters of the third kind were, were actually only the tip of the submerged memory. It was being discovered for the first time that there were, in fact, close encounters of the fourth kind. These involved not only sightings of the lights in the skies, but close personal encounters with the flying vehicles and their alien occupants. And these encounters were not simply visual. They involve physical contact with the aliens and voluntary physical contact that amounted to nothing short of kidnapping. Mr. Hopkins' groundbreaking study showed that, like the Hills, thousands of abductees came away from their experiences with little more than a vague unease and a need for the resolution of conflicting feelings. At the emotional level, they were left with strange, deep-seated fears of certain sites and locations, seemingly for no reason at all. Perhaps they were even able to sense that something awful had happened to them, but that was as far as it went. Okay, continuing. Only later, and with much counseling, were these victims able to say that they had been blocked from remembering a long and horrifying abduction event that had taken place against their will. They were belatedly made aware that they had literally been dragged, kicking and screaming, into glowing ships that were obviously of an earthly origin. Paralyzed, they often reported being floated into these ships by anti-gravity beams. Secondly, he discovered that virtually all the UFO abductees he studied had suffered multiple abductions. Usually these began in childhood, around the age of six or seven, and proceeded on a rather routine basis until the individual reached, reached the age of 40 or so. The fact that these abductors continue to hold this pattern is very important. As we shall see later, it provides an important clue as to the reason of the activity. In fact, this 30-year window of opportunity makes a great deal of sense when we see it from an alien perspective. And here we use the term alien loosely. Now, I think what they're getting at here is the whole focus on reproduction. Okay? This 30-year window, okay, of, of when a person would typically be considered at the height of maybe fertility, that type of thing, okay? So, uh, obviously a six or seven-year-old wouldn't be in there, but then again, we don't know what angle they're coming from as as well. So, going further here, uh, it can easily cover the trans-dimensional beings referred to in the Bible as fallen angels and demons. Thirdly, all the interviews reportedly being subjected to a sort of, are, are all being subjected to a sort of medical exam. Virtually every abduction includes this regimen. 
but the more but the more investigators have reviewed these quasi-medical exams, the more they suspect that they aren't really examinations at all, at least not in the usual human sense of the word. Victims are left with sores, visible scars, and scoop marks on their body. They often suffer from inexplicable pains and unexplainable symptoms of their illness. Their misery is often a mixture of both mental and physical complaints. Often, they are simply inconsolable, living in the half-dream world of unresolved conflict. Later, they discover the reason for their distress, that their bodies were used in the most abominable ways. From the early days of the Hill's experience in the 1960s to the current reports, strange surgeries are a central part of the abduction experience. More often than not, these involve bodily organs of reproduction, using strange probes, clusters of vacuum needles, and diabolical appearing instruments, the aliens are preoccupied with obtaining samples and implanting their unwilling patients with substances and devices. And this is one of the reasons, I believe, that these people get abducted over and over again because of these implants that are being put in them. They're like tracking devices. At least partially, that's part of the reason. They're cursed devices, but they're also like a, a tracking device device that they can track these people down and just re-abduct them over and over again. Okay? Uh, because of their obsession with human reproduction, investigators have concluded that some sort of breeding experiment must be central to the alien's order of events. But what is it? The celestial kidnappers continue to operate in mysterious seclusion. Uh, Bud Hopkins' second book, entitled Intruders, published in 1987, focused on a single case, that of Kathy Davis, a young woman who experienced multiple abductions. His two-and-a-half-year study of her life produced a series of disturbing conclusions. To be sure, genetic experimentation was taking place, but it was more than that. As Hopkins studied her case, and similar cases pertaining to other young women, he was surprised to discover that more than just missing time... He also discovered what came to be called the missing baby syndrome. Kathy and other female abductees were discovering themselves mysteriously pregnant after their UFO experiences. Then, a short time, uh, some weeks to three months later, they would discover that their pregnancies no longer existed. To their horror, they discovered that their babies were being harvested by the aliens and transported away to some unknown location. Later, during subsequent abductions, their abnormally tiny babies were brought out and presented to them in a strange, quote, bonding ceremony. The infants appeared to be only partly human. They were tiny by human standards and appeared uh, big-eyed and listless. However, some seemed more human than others. Now you say, okay, now you've really gone off the deep end saying this stuff. Well, I'm telling you, this has happened, and these same scenarios have been happening. There's been millions of people that this has happened to. Are they all nuts? Well, it doesn't line up with the Bible. Well, yes, it does. What do you think they were doing in Genesis 6? When the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives all that they chose and they bore to them these hybrid Nephilim fallen ones to them. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So we should be expecting this garbage. Totally lines up with the Bible. Hopkins writes, When Kathy described being shown the tiny, seemingly hybrid baby, she reported a striking new detail. The UFO occupants apparently wanted her to hold the infant so they could observe something about human touch and human emotion. Now, the Bible also indicates in Daniel, there's a verse in there that's, that is regarding 
I believe, this subject. And it, and it goes, and it's, the exact quote is, that they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave. Who is they? Well, they is some other race. What other race in the Bible did ever cohabit, did ever cohabitate with man? Fallen angels. There's only one other race of beings in the Bible that that's ever happened with and successfully procreated with. They. They shall, and this is regarding the end times. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. They, some other race. Fallen angels. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave. The seed of men. Well, isn't that the reproductive area? Yes. What are these devils always obsessed with? The reproductive organs of humans. But it says they shall not cleave. That word cleave, if you go and define it in the um, the Hebrew, means to aptly fit. I don't know whether in Genesis 6, where they boarded them these giants, and the giants took over the world... I don't know whether at some point along the line, maybe even after the promised land, where they weren't able to actually pull off this breeding program as effectively as they did, let's say, in Genesis 6, and that they did um, on the um, giant races that were pre-positioned in the promised land when the Jews went in there, or even after that. I don't know. I, I don't know whether they're, they're, they're using a breeding program in this sense to be much more subtle. I mean, obviously, if you had 12-foot giants walking around all of a sudden, there would be a lot of um, panic and things like this. But if they can mingle themselves with the seed of men in a more subtle way, remember Satan's the most subtle beast of the field, for the day and times we live in, maybe they figured that was the best approach for the day and time they live in, in the end times. I don't know, I'm speculating, but something to think about. Going further here, For the moment, Kathy's role... Well, let me just read the last question, or the last statement again. Hopkins writes, When Kathy described being shown the tiny, seemingly hybrid baby, she reported a striking new detail. The UFO occupants apparently wanted her to hold the infant so they could observe something about human touch and human emotion. For the moment, Kathy's role was that of an instructor. Her abductors, as well as the baby, needed something that only she could provide. It has something to do with touch and the human part, that they don't understand. It occurred to me afterwards that the need for a demonstration of this maternal feeling might be the reason why UFO occupants have apparently shown various female abductees their half-human offspring, if that term is even uh, uh, approximately correct. Um, Going further, let me just scan down here. As we have mentioned before, the ancient pagan peoples of the world viewed the demons as a coexisting race on the face of the planet. They considered them friends, who upon occasion were able to bestow blessing upon the fortunate. Offerings were often left out for them. To them, the demons existed in a hazy netherworld, visible to human eyes only when they allowed it. Nevertheless, they were considered real. They were thought to be able to fly and were often seen in the presence of natural wonders, such as blazing globes of light and fiery flying shields. So they're trying to relate kind of ancient times past and bring it forward. And we're going to look a lot more at that phenomenon. They were seen as ghosts of the great ones who lived upon the earth in the days before the destruction of Atlantis, which would be in the days of Noah, Okay, and the ghosts, meaning they were the disembodied spirits of the giants. 
which is what the book of Enoch does teach. And I do believe that is accurate regarding that. The Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about the origin of demons, which I believe is totally different than fallen angels. Okay, and again, I've covered that in depth in previous teachings, so which I've listed all here. So, anyway, let's go further here. Uh, uh, they were seen as the ghosts of the great ones, meaning the disembodied spirits who once lived upon earth in the days before the destruction of Atlantis, a great culture brought to an end by a flood-borne cataclysm. Huh, I wonder if that was the flood of the Bible. Yeah, I think it was. Virtually the entire world has some belief system that includes these demons. In the Orient, they are seen as unhappy ghosts of ancestors, expressing some dissatisfaction or other. Primitive pagan tribes seen them as nature gods. Others have a host of vampires, werewolves, ghosts, goblins, trolls, etc. to explain the presence of demons. In the British Isles in Europe, they, were, they, were, um, they are the fairies and the assorted little people who dwell in the forests. But in the last century, the scientific age took control of Western thought, and such antiquated beliefs were quickly discarded by many. However, they were soon replaced by something quite acceptable to the scientific mind, which is science fiction. Such as that of written by Jules Verne and H.G. Wells fueled the public imagination that thoughts of lunar, excursion, lunar excursions, flight to Mars, and trips through time. At the turn of the century, we began to be visited by strange aerial vehicles of unknown origin that soon enough began to be identified as travelers from through space and time. The, the dirigible-like flying machines seen all over the U.S. In, in 1897 became the Martian spaceships of the 1930s and the flying saucers of 1947. The little people, now this is very important, and I said a lot of what I just said to say this statement here. The little people had successfully mutated their persona to match the current belief systems. Demons had become space travelers. For a while, they were the little green men. Then in the 60s, and especially after the Hills abduction experience, they became the short, thin, big-headed, black-eyed little greys that are so part of our popular culture. In other words, Satan, like I said, will meet you, will meet your delusion at that need. Okay, he'll give you whatever culturally you're willing to accept, as long as he can deceive you. In his 1969 book, Passport to Majona, Jacques Vallée documents this very important fact. He writes, We have now examined several stories of abductions and attempts at kidnappings by the occupants of flying saucers. These episodes are an integral part of the total UFO problem and cannot be solved separately. Historical evidence gathered by Walter Wentz, moreover, once more points in the same direction. This sort of belief in fairies being able to take people was very common and exists in, in um, many good parts of West Ireland. So what, what do you mean? Like, they're abducted? Yeah. And isn't that a striking similarity with the, with the UFO experience, okay? But the sort of belief in fairies in Western Island was very common. So that's a striking parallel there. The good people, okay, and this is a quote by this Walter Wentz, he says, quote, The good people, called the fairies, are often seen there... And then he was, evidently, he was pointing to this place known as Nock Mog, whatever that is. The good people, the fairies, are often seen there, pointing to Nock Mog, in great crowds, playing Hurley and Ball, whatever that is, 
And one often sees among them the young men and women and children who have been taken. End of quote. So in other words, he was pointing to this area, I don't know if it was in the woods or whatever, and he says, um, these fairies are seen their plane, and with them are often seen the young men and the women and the children who have been taken by them, or abducted. Not only are people taken, but akin, but akin flying saucer stories, they are sometimes carried to faraway spots by aerial means. So this has been going on for who knows how long. He quotes Wentz again, who writes, A man who I have seen, Rodnick McNeil, was lifted by the hosts or fairies and left three miles where he was taken up. Would that kind of be like people that get taken up in flying saucers and then all of a sudden they return a few days later, miles away from where they were originally abducted? It happens all the time. That show Fire in the Sky was about that, which probably has one of the most realistic abduction and medical examination scenes you'll probably ever see. Just key in Fire in the Sky abduction scene. And it's not really something you want to have your kids watch. I'm not saying you should even watch it. But I'm saying that I think that that's a very accurate portrayal of the tear that these little devils inflict. Now, a lot of people would say, okay, well, what are they? Okay, well, again, we've examined that. But I do believe with the greys, who seem to be like drones, one of the explanations that I had read, and I couldn't find the exact quote that I had read before, but they're like kind of like biological containers or bodies that are made that essentially that are inhabited by demonic spirits to do like drone-type, manual labor-type work. Okay? That's one explanation for them. And obviously you could speculating a lot of different things. Yeah, Taylor just pointed out that the fire in the sky actually was a, I mean, uh, it was a true story. It was just one of the millions of abduction stories out there. Okay? Um, so, anyway, let's go further here uh, regarding these fairies. Okay? These otherworldly creatures whom we would characterize as demons manifest themselves in many ways. The more one studies the ancient phenomenon of an evil world of corrupted spiritual creatures, the more one sees that they are capable of assuming any appearance as long as it will gain them entrance to the societies of their victims. Satan will meet you at your need. Whatever your preconceived notions are, and that whatever... Uh, paradigm fits the society that you're living in, he'll typically come to you in that way, something that will fit in with you know what you're used to. The author notes that fairies, quote, take men and women, especially pregnant women and young mothers, and that they are also very active in stealing young children. Hmm. Pregnant women and young mothers and young children? That sounds a lot like the, the modern day Abduction scenarios. Sometimes they substitute a false child for the real one. Now, I never heard of this. Leaving in their place, in the place of the real child, a broom with rugs wrapped around it, which I don't really get that, or one of their children, which is called a changeling. This is news to me. Evidently, the fairies did this stuff. They would leave a child that looked just like the one they stole, but it wasn't. It was one of theirs. It was almost like a clone of your kid. 
The belief in changelings is ancient, and its origins lost in the fog of early history. Basically, it is the belief that demons can carry away a young child, leaving in its place one of their own race, indistinguishable from the original child. Valet notes that a recent television series has capitalized on this aspect of UFO lore. In the show, the human race has been infiltrated by extraterrestrials who differ from humans in only small details only. This is not a new, new idea, as the belief in changelings show. And there is a well-known passage in Martin Luther's table of, it's called Martin Luther's Table Talk, in which he tells about the Prince of Annault that we should throw in Throw in the, uh, he tells the Prince of Anault that he should throw in the Maldu River a certain man who is, in his opinion, a changeling, or what they call a kill crop, as they were called in Germany. So this is Martin Luther saying, you need to throw this guy in the river or kill him because he's a changeling. If a man is Martin Luther if a man as Martin Luther believed that aliens or demons could abduct a child and substitute a counterfeit, we must admit that such a belief was widespread among intellectuals in the 16th century. Something to think about. Now, Genesis 3:14 and 15 says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, now this is after the serpent had deceived Eve, okay, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee, meaning war, enmity means war, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is why Satan tried to wipe out humanity particularly in Genesis 6, because he didn't want to get his head bruised, which is what Jesus Christ ultimately did on the cross with his death, burial, and resurrection, with the finished work on the cross. He defeated Satan. But it says right here that Satan, or the serpent, has his own seed. And remember, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave, meaning aptly fit. So, Again, there are some Bible verses to look at that are rather compelling. Let's go ahead and end part three here, and we'll go to part four, and I think I'll be able to wrap this up.